Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler talking money and investing and walking through the news of the week. Now it's going to be, um, well, Ann actually did all the walking. Ann Sawaski did all the walking through the news for me. And uh, you came up with some really good things. I, I love. I, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think today. this is going to be really, really good. So let's uh, let's jump in. I mean, you pick. You tell me what you want to talk about first. Uh, there, there's a whole range of things, uh, you know. And, and uh, I, most of them I read already, but mm -hmm. a couple of them that I, I didn't quite get into. Um, the, well, I don't know. Should we talk about the? Uh, elephant in the room, which is Amazon being sued by the FTC and 17 states for anti-competitive and monopolistic practices. I, I think we can. I, I am <laughs> a fan of the services that they provide. You know, I, I do like that, but I have seen things over time where you go, well, you know, you hear things like anti-competitive practices in that you come up with a product that really, really doesn't sell and you're just fine. You don't have to worry. Yeah. You don't have to worry about putting your product out there and worry about any competition. But if you have a product that's like really, really good and hot and everybody wants to buy it, then all of a sudden you're competing with them from what I understood. Is, yeah. that, is that part of it? Well, that's part of it. Um, it's, um, it's that... Um, they are taking monopolistic control over competition. They control 40% of the market. That's unreal. That's a lot. That's a, and you go out there to other places that actually ship things. Yeah. And, and I have actually made the decision in some cases to buy something from somebody else just to put the business someplace else. I do that. Honestly, I try not to use Amazon just because of that reason. I don't know. I always like to support the little guy. <laughs> uh, well, well, you know, I'm all about convenience to, to a certain extent. But uh, but yeah, that that's so that's interesting. And from an investing perspective, I think that we probably ought to talk about what does that have to do with investing. And well, yeah, I see here there. I think there's this multifaceted. So part of it is um, that they are trying to stop them. They're issuing a permanent injunction. Mm -hmm. to prohibit Amazon from engaging in these unlawful conduct and loosen its monopolistic control. And they allege they're doing anti-competitive practices in, in a number of fashions. One is that um, they are, when you do a search on Amazon, mm -hmm. they control what comes up. So yes. let's say sure. they have a similar product that they're selling directly. Yeah. That will come up before the other one of the third party vendor. Yeah, it's like a preferred or something like that. Amazon uh preferred or I can't it's something like it's it's a word like that. I can't remember. Yeah. So so they're they're basically um that, I mean that's 
that's a pretty good argument for anti-competitive practice right there is that you're prohibiting people from seeing your competitor's product, you know, because the reality is people aren't going to keep searching page after page after page to get down to, you know, some other competitor's product. I mean, that's not how people work on the internet. For me here, here's what I think is really salient about this when you, and very interesting. So with investing markets during when Trump was president, Mm-hmm. You saw a dominance of large companies. Now you think mm-hmm. of Trump as being a guy that's going to be a reformer, as a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, paint him that way. He's going yes. to be a reformer. He's going to come in. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to mess around. He's he's going to come in and take down the some of the powers that be. Is, mm-hmm. is kind of how it was painted. And really, I thought, you know, there are a lot of things that he's doing. And I, I remain agnostic, you know, and all of this stuff as much as I possibly can here. And I'll just and like literally I, I can argue both sides of a fence on something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. nobody's business just because I get both sides of the argument. But here's what I, I saw as an investment guy during that period of time. And this is what can change in a heartbeat is that large U.S. growth companies actually dominated. Now, these are companies that for all intents and purposes, when he was president, he was probably should have been really concerned about because they were doing things that we in putting out information and uh, being the the broadcast medium for a lot mm-hmm. of information that was very anti him. Yeah, you know, well, yes. you, know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so what is interesting to me is those companies actually prospered during that period mm-hmm. of time and did did very well and they, they got bigger. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have tariffs in other countries around the world. And, and those tariffs didn't just affect China, but they also affected our some of our allies as mm-hmm. well. So it made it hard for some of the smaller companies in other countries as well as in the U.S. to compete. Mm-hmm. So hence, what happens is when you have something like this that takes place, I look at it as, wow, this could really give a leg up or really help out smaller companies or companies that have been out of favor for a while, which is by definition what we call value companies. Now, right. here, here's what's interesting about that is that, you know, from and, and, and this is the this is the hard thing is that as an investor, we sit there and go, Gosh, you know, we want to be diversified here, diversified there. Why do we want all this diversification? Why do we want to be in all these different markets? Because news like this can come around the bend at any time and it could change the whole playing field. Yeah, because actually one of the articles about this just I just literally just saw this come in. Mm-hmm. And one of the headings was exit can I say it? Existential threat mm-hmm. to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Which it could be because they they say right here, uh, many wondered whether the agency would seek a forced breakup of the retail giant. Can you say baby bells? Yes, exact. <laughs> that was exactly where I was going. Yeah. So that you know, and that is what they do with monopolies. Monopolies are viewed to be anti-competitive. They can control pricing. They can drive out competitors. They, and the interesting thing is, Amazon. And and by the way, this isn't only Amazon. It's tech. This was focused on other tech 
giants as well. Well, let me, let me just say something really quick because some people out there may not even know what I'm talking about, baby mm-hmm. bells. Or, you know, they're yeah, like, going, right. going, what on earth? You know, because you're not old like, yeah. <laughs> like me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the idea was that you had Bell Telephone, you had, that was it. You, know, you had, it was kind of like, you didn't have any competition. So it broke up. And it's interesting what happened, the story behind the Bell Telephone, when that breakup occurred, it really, after a while, it was this great breakup and you had business spread all over the place and it was a forced breakup, but they actually started to come back together as time went on. They did, yeah. Which is kind of like... It's weird. Know, yeah, yeah, it is kind of weird, you know, <laughs> and to, to quote Chris Hand. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> it is, it is. That really shouldn't happen. And, but, and, but that's but it, yeah. is, it is what happened. Right. So, you know, in, in essence, that's what we're talking about. It was mm-hmm. a breaking up of that, but uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, so... This has implications um, on on small businesses, to your point, because they were saying one of the arguments in here is that they are charging exorbitant uh, fees. So Mm -hmm. up to 45 percent of revenue for third parties that are using their site. That's a lot of money that a a third-party vendor on Amazon is having to give them to get their product out there. When I've often heard that the their biggest profit center is just plain advertising, and it's not necessarily the sale of products, where you typically have a retailer buy something, they mark it up, they sell it to the public, mm-hmm. but the, and that know, would be advertising. But yeah. Amazon, too, has so many other uh, legs to it. I mean, they have a data... Uh, component and Google is the same way. So they sell big companies engineering and data management too. Mm-hmm. So they have their fingers in businesses not only in the US but all over the world and controlling the tech for them. So I mean I think that and then even they just said things just like food. People order groceries and and, everything and and, uh, having a legal background like Mm -hmm. you do Mm -hmm. i can only imagine how much time it would take to litigate something like this yeah i I mean mean, it could be like years and you know years and years in in courts right it could be but you know what with something like this um my guess is it it's not going to go to court is they'll settle somehow you know and i think that's a good point and and probably what'll happen is they may start to straighten out some of the practices so as mm -hmm. not to be a target yeah yeah they might or or they i mean i hate to be uh negative about it but well a lot of these states when they get on board this they just want a big payoff to go into the coffer of the state, and then they'll go away. No, now, no, I'm no. sorry. Say that's but... not so. That's say that. No, no, that can't but, be. But, you know, 17 <laughs> states are getting on board, and that's usually what happens. They don't usually end up doing anything but getting a payoff. It's like the tobacco thing and so on. So yeah, I don't know. Some of the foreign governments have actually been fairly... Uh, fairly effective at dealing with it. I mean, it was yeah. that, that, that little country I talked about a few weeks ago that ended up getting the uh, USB-C into the Apple iPhone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, who knows? Maybe it'll be a foreign government that that pushes it more than our own government. But I think that yeah. the point is, is you just don't know. You can't predict how no. things like this will turn out and how it will affect marketplaces and how it will create more competition. Right. Which is it raises the level of all boats out there. It does, because, I mean, if you're able to cut the expenses of a lot of these 
small to medium-sized businesses using Amazon or helping them to market more effectively or, or breaking up Amazon and some of these other big tech giants, that's going to have a huge effect on small and value companies. But again, we don't mm-hmm. predict the future at all. No. But it's, but it's a, these no. are classic um, cases of things that you couldn't have seen a few days ago. Right, right. And I think that's the educational part of the show is don't try to predict this thing, but do be aware that these things come out of the blue and recognize that you're not going to be the one that predicts what's going to happen, how long it's going to take, what the effect is, and therefore trying to pick which stocks to buy, which Mm -hmm. ones to get rid of, uh, what areas of the market to buy into, tactical asset allocation is a huge waste of time, which is most of what the investment industry engages in is the point Mm -hmm. I like to make. I have workshops where we go through, I don't care, name a financial company, any financial company, except for ours. (laughs) And and you will be naming a company that if you go to their website, has on their website all of this talk about the active management that they engage in. Mm -hmm. And you don't recognize that they're doing it because they don't tell you that they market time or they stock pick, but they say it in different ways. You know, we look for underpricings or we look for overpricings or we look for opportunities or we they may say active management many times tactical asset allocation yeah tactical asset allocation sounds great i mean yeah yeah, i've heard asset allocation is great tactical asset it's a totally different totally different animal you know so i think it's important to understand that right right so that is uh you know i think that's going to be interesting to watch Mm -hmm. and we'll certainly keep an eye on that but the point being that if you look at some of these and this is where complacency can be a real problem uh the average investor if we look at and we've done this before where we take big mutual fund companies and we look at how much money is in big growth stocks compared to the rest of the market. And you will see that large growth stocks dominate portfolios. That means they dominate most likely your portfolio. And that is where it comes out of the blue. This is the same thing. And I feel like I have to repeat myself because we look back at the late 90s. uh, Literally, you know, I was working on opening this company in the late 90s just before the tech bubble burst. My first full year of operation was the year 2000. And in March of 2000, that's when the stuff hit the fan. And most investors were just caught with, you know, they were the the king out in the water with, with no underwear on, right? <laughs> and when the tide went out, it was it yeah. was not pretty. 70% drop? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it was 80% was actually. Uh, yeah, for the Nasdaq. Yeah, exactly. So you look at that and go, wow, that's a huge drop. And and you know, most people were completely unprepared for it because they were complacent because it had been so good for so long right. for those companies. And keep in mind, this isn't just Amazon. This is the FTC is mm-hmm. targeting the monopolistic practices of other large tech companies as well, which those are the ones that have done the great recently, and, yeah, right? Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think it could have a lot of ramifications beyond just Amazon. And it will be interesting. We'll, uh, I, I'm going to be fascinated as to where this all ends up going. And I, I hope it does go somewhere because I, you know, I'm a big advocate of competition because competition makes everybody stronger and makes everybody better. And in the end, the consumer wins when there's competition. Right, right. All ships get raised. That's right. Yeah. You're listening to the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Ann Sawaski. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back 
Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. We are back here on the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler. She is Ann Sawaski. Chartered Financial Consultant, JD, RICP. you got RICP, and I'm thinking of then you got Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, I knew you had. She's getting tons of letters behind her name. Yeah. Just a study holic like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so you know, I was it was funny. I was I was out at Trevecca this week, and and um, and walking down the campus, and and it was funny because I saw one my my son. Uh, one of my sons, uh, my other son graduated from there, but the other ones is walking up the sidewalk with a buddy of his and, and, uh, you know, Hey, I'm waving from a long distance away and Hey, what's going on? And, and, uh, see him and, and his, his friend walks up and he's got a book thinking fast and thinking slow by Daniel Kahneman. I'm going, look at this. And cause if you, if you don't know who that is, uh, we're big advocates here. Now, not that he got this from me or anything like this, but <laughs> We're big advocates of looking at how brain, your brain will actually affect your investing decisions and financial decisions in general. True. And, and Kahneman is a really big, uh, he did a, a great work on that thinking fast and thinking slow in that what we do is we have different parts of our brain that re- respond really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, medial part of your brain responds very quickly and it's getting you know, a fight, flight, freeze. You, mm-hmm. you run like heck from danger. And, and this has implications for investing because what we tend to do is we see something in the news, we see something in the media and we make decisions not using the part of our brain that's analytical. And I often right. talk about, you know, I plus E is greater than C, is instincts plus emotions tend to outweigh the cognitive part of our brain. But I just thought it was a, it was a kick having a young kid at a college, you know, mm-hmm. studying some of this stuff. Because we have, uh, you know, the fund companies, we, they have a behavioral economist on their staff and, and mm-hmm. on their boards because mm-hmm. it is so important. It you, is. Mm Because you look at, you know, investor returns versus mutual fund returns, and you look at what's the biggest determinant of that, it's your thinking. It's not Mm -hmm. the fund. It's not the management fee or anything like that. Management fee is important. I don't, you know, I I think you'd keep the fees down, but people are missing the biggest determinant of success versus failure, and that's where it is. So anyway, I thought that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So uh, fund company, uh, I talked a little bit about last week, I think it was, uh, talking a little bit about the SEC meeting to talk a little bit about fund company names and some changes that might be coming. What happened there, Ann? Well, they are coming. They they actually um, are going. They put the rule out, mm-hmm. and there's um, going to be two years for the fund companies to comply. But based what, on what size, is, right? Isn't it based on size? Some of the companies yes. that have more in assets than yes. others have yeah. have One to do it quicker. One billion or more in assets have twenty four 
months to comply, funds with assets of less than a billion of 30 months to comply. But what is the rule? The rule is talking about um, fund names, Mm -hmm. which I've thought was fascinating because when we look at our portfolios Mm -hmm. and we analyze what people are bringing in to us, Very often, you will see that um, we run our portfolio MRI, which is our analysis of what you have, what holdings, what expected return, what areas of the market you're in. When 95% of your returns are driven by three factors, according to Eugene Farming University of Chicago, you probably ought to pay attention to it. Yeah, (laughs) so, so what we end up seeing is people will come in and they'll have almost no small value or value even or or emerging markets or whatever and they go well but i have this fund here and it says it's small value but there it's it's not it's not containing a majority of small value so basically these fund names are very misleading yeah even american funds they got a small world fund and it's it's holding mid caps exactly exactly now i used to write prospectuses because yeah. we had mutual funds that was your that was your big company. bragging point when i first yeah. met you is yeah. i wrote a prospectus and there were no errors that's well <laughs> never that forget. is true <laughs> that's not easy but but <laughs> but anyway the point is the language you would put in the prospectus was exactly that mm-hmm. it was basically and but we we can you know, and I don't remember what it was, but in essence, you know, we can look at the market factors and make changes. Here's what we are going to invest in, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. We, we reserve can, the right. Yes, to make changes, i.e., active manage. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see this style drift all the time mm-hmm. because they're actively managing outside of what the fund is supposed to be we see it all the time and and yeah and it's it's, it's i talk about my book it's it's well well over 50 percent of yeah. you know in in a short period of time yeah. actually changed their style so that's, oh yeah and yeah. even value they'll use terms like value they say well this is a value mm-hmm. fund and i'll look at it and go well which definition of value are you using yeah yeah you know, there so- are lots of different definitions of value and I did not see in the SEC ruling that they're actually going to deal with that. Well, they are actually. So, so. Wait, well, the, wait, wait, but why? But but on what definition? Because you've got price to book, you've got price to earnings, you have price to sales. Uh, then you have just defining by value based on what you believe is undervalued. Mm-hmm. Are they? What are they going to define it on? Is it? Well, and and that's that. Your point is valid. They're they're dealing with it. But they're not dealing with it in the way you are getting at. That I would yeah. want them to yes. deal with it. Yeah, okay, so, that, that makes sense to me. So the new rule will require them. So in other words, let's say you have uh, ABC value fund mm-hmm. or ABC ESG fund. Mm-hmm. It's going to require 80% of what's in right, there to right. be that. in that classification. But... Now, the value... Will they say that if it's value, does it is it small? Is it large? Is it just be value? Because that's that's pretty wide ranging. Maybe mid cap value. Maybe it's large value. Maybe well, small it'll value. be whatever it's saying it is. But the point is, you have to define what that means. But to me, mm-hmm. as a person that used to write these, mm-hmm. be like, okay, I got to stick a definition in. Big deal. 
So that doesn't mean that nobody will read. Is that basically right. what you're saying? Well, but also it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't week. mean it is what you or I would view as value. Right. It means right. it's it, a you have to definition mm-hmm. of whatever you want value to be. <laughs> That's really the way I as a lawyer yeah. would read that. Yeah, and, and I believe that you would be right about that because yeah. I, I can't imagine that they would be any more stringent than that. Right. So they, they don't seem to be having anything about exactly what it is, but just, okay, you're going to have to define it. You're going to have to have 80% of whatever it is mm-hmm. in that, and you have to be able to show, you know, okay, these holdings are... It. Do you have to, do you have to define <laughs> what it do you, is? Do you have to define what is is? Yes. I don't, you know, this yes. <laughs> so, so it, they're trying to do it, but I, I don't see that as very effective. But, but um, anyway, so then. So they, you're still going to have to have, you're going to have to have a pretty doggone good knowledge of how it's being defined. Is it being defined based on the academic research? On right. What you know, Fama did who coined the term value. Yes. Or, yes. I, I would not deem that it's going to yeah. improve that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. And, yeah. and it's too hard of a job to do. It's it's like literally, you know, you can, and that's what so often you'll find the regulators do. They got, they got a tough task on their hands. As I've often said many times, I've talked to regulators and their, their point of view is valid. You know, mm-hmm. we want, we're in America. We want freedom of running a business without all the constraints. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and we also want to protect the consumer. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is if you let somebody run the business without constraints and you want to protect the consumer, the only way you can do that is through disclosures. I mean, that's right. basically what exactly. they said to me. And, and it's yeah. like, right. okay, buyer beware is my, is what I came back with. Right. Re- so, so, I mean, you know, I think what's, I mean, just thinking, putting my legal compliance hat on is they're going to be coming in. They're going to, you know, have you write this extra disclosure language. You're going to have to keep track of whatever it is and 80% of that be able to show that. Mm -hmm. So then the auditors are going to come in and they're going to look at what your definition of it is in Mm -hmm. the prospectus Mm -hmm. and say, are you complying with that? So they will just look at whatever your definition is. They're not going to say... Oh, well, that doesn't that's comply not, with Eugene valid, Fama's, you, yeah, that's, you know what that's I mean. Not, that's not a valid definition. No, exactly. I, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. So the takeaway for this, you know, if you're an investor, don't, I, my, my point has always been and consistently is that you can't blindly trust the investing industry. You can't just say, hey, look, the SEC solved this whole problem. 95% of returns are driven by the, the or, you know, they're, there's, they're differing numbers. Uh, there was one that was 91% and the other one was 94% of returns were asset allocation. And then furthermore, uh, 95% of the level of returns or the expected return is driven by three factors. How much do I have in large? How much do I have in small? Value, growth, stocks versus bonds. So hence, this is what's really, really important. And don't turn a blind eye thinking that, oh, everything's great. I can just blindly trust, stay engaged. And this is something that, you know, when we look at it, when we're looking at it, this is these are the things that we're looking at, de- determining what is value, what is small, uh, how big are small companies? <laughs> you know, that may sound yeah. funny, how big are small companies, but you have to have a cutoff. Well, and here's the other thing that this whole 
rule tells me. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't need a rule if they weren't lying to you about what, what a great is point. in these. <laughs> what a great point. I mean, yes, really good point. So I, you know, yeah. trust me, there, there's a lot of the things in these names that are just window dressing. Isn't that so true? Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.